If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I do invite you to turn with me to the book of John, the book of John chapter 3. As we continue this conversation between Jesus and a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And that was a very appropriate song indeed, for Nicodemus came to Christ asking questions of life, asking questions of eternity and of salvation. And what Jesus is trying to get across, what Jesus is trying to convey to Nicodemus is that you need me. You need the one who can transform your heart. You need the one. Your very life hungers for me. And if you put anything else in that place, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss everything. And so look to me. Cling to me. Hope in me. We started that conversation last week looking at the first portion of this chapter. And we noted that to be born again, this must be a work of the Holy Spirit. And as we continue this week of that idea, that concept of new birth, we do so with an act of sympathy in Jesus' part. Nicodemus being a Pharisee, out of all of the passage of Scripture, he should understand the Old Testament would have been what he understood the best. And even more specifically, the books of Moses. And so Jesus, how does he get his point across? How does he relay his message to one such as Nicodemus? He takes him to the Old Testament Scriptures. What a mercy by our God as he reveals to him, what does it mean to have new life? With that being said, I invite you to turn with me and look now at our text this morning, John chapter 3, verses 9 to 15. And I want to step back to verse 7 for the sake of context. I want to begin in verse 7 and read through the 15th verse. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of our Lord. Would you please bow with me as we ask his blessing upon this time? Lord, one of the most questions, one of the most important questions any of us can ask is how might I receive eternal life? How precious is it that we have recorded this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, where Nicodemus asks these very, this very thing. Lord, may we carefully, humbly, and with full submission to your power and authority, hear these words. And may the truths that Jesus proclaims be the truths of our hearts and of our lives. Lord, I do pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, which you say new birth cannot happen without the Spirit. So with your Spirit, may you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. 
that we might receive your truth this day with gladness and that by doing so, our lives may be transformed. I pray all of these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Remember a conversation once I, I overheard in seminary, one pastor to be talked to another pastor to be, and he asked him, you know, what, what does it mean when a pastor takes off his watch? I notice a lot of them do that, and I want to make sure I get it right. And this fellow looked at the other one and said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> Some of you will get that on the ride home, and that's Okay. Sometimes it can be hard to understand things, can it? Especially if it's something new. It's something we've never experienced before. It's something foreign or bizarre to us. And yet, if you think about life, if you think about the human existence, isn't our life all about interacting, coming in contact with new things? And then new things, as they're thought of, as they're processed, as they're um, worked with, become old things, and then they become something that we do that become a regular, normal part of us. You know, this uh, past week, our, our one-year-old, Caroline, she pointed this out to me in a, in a comical way. She's recently really taking, taken to walking. Now, she's been able to walk for about a month now. She has shown that she is capable, but has refused until about the last week or so. She's really decided, you know, I can do this, and I'm, I'm going to do this. Well, I was um, watching her at, at dinner one evening, and she found a, a piece of cardboard on the floor. And, and she's at that stage that if she sees it, it has to be tasted. That, that's the, the sensory response. Well, I don't want her eating cardboard. And so I said, Caroline... And, and she heard me, and, and what happened next, I, I best can describe as, and, and for the few of you that know this, the old Looney Tune cartoons. You remember when, when someone goes to run in a Looney Tune cartoon, and their, their feet make a circle, and there's dust that gets kicked up, and, um, and the, but they're not going anywhere, but it's like they're charging up to run. Well, that, that's what Caroline did. She got so excited she decided, hey, I can do this walking thing. How about running? And so she spun and spun and spun. And unfortunately, she was in socks and she was on the tile and then poof, face first, tight grip clutching her cardboard though. But not to be deterred, she got up, took off again, poof, took off again. Three or four times I watched her do this, and at that point I was like, you can have the cardboard, this is too good, I, I just, I'm gonna enjoy it. She is learning the art, the skill, the ability to run, or to walk. Running is not appropriate for a, a one-year-old, not yet. She doesn't have the muscle memory or the ability. One day she will. One day she will get running. She will understand it, it'll be a natural part of her life. But right now, developmentally, she really needs to get a handle on walking. That's where that adage, you've got to walk before you can run, comes from, is that kind of mindset. Here in our text this morning, Nicodemus is in a similar state. Nicodemus is perplexed. He's confused. He doesn't understand. He's saying here, I don't get these deep spiritual matters. I don't get this conversation. I don't get what you're saying to me. We see it's because Nicodemus is trying to run. And what Jesus is saying is, Nicodemus, let's go back to walking. 
Let's actually go back to some foundational principles that you're getting wrong that prove you don't, you're not ready for these deep matters. You need to learn these core principles first, and then and only then can we talk about the skill, the ability to run. And so Jesus is still teaching Nicodemus about new birth, about new life, and he does so by bringing up this moment, this event in history from the Old Testament. And so for us this morning, I want us to continue to learn through this one-on-one conversation. I want us to see that to understand spiritual matters, we must believe in Christ. This is our walking step. This is our, you must get this before we can move on further. You must believe in Christ to understand spiritual matters. And how does that come about? Well, that's our second point. Christ bought our belief by his being lifted up. We can walk because Christ laid himself down. We can understand the basics because he was willing to go all the way to death, to resurrection for us. And that'll be what we'll we'll see throughout our text. And so that's what I want us to see, my prayer for us to see this morning. And let's begin by considering how we must believe in Christ to even understand spiritual matters. The last words we get from Nicodemus, this is a dialogue, it's an interaction, and yet Nicodemus gives us in verse 9, how can these things be? And now Nicodemus is done. (laughs) Jesus goes into a monologue for the rest of this conversation. How can these things be? I don't get it. They do not make sense. I do not understand it. I can't grasp what you're telling me. Jesus, how? How? In seminary, we're taught a, a field of study. It's a very important field of study. It's called apologetics. Apologetics. Um, that sounds like the word apology, and there are some relations, but apologetics is defense of the faith. It is being able to understand, explain, and defend what we believe through various methods and practices. One of my favorite and and one of the uh, methods taught in seminary um, really was championed by a man named Cornelius Van Til. Some of you may um, know that name or be familiar with him. And Van Til, his method that he championed, he didn't come up with it, but he really was a spokesperson for it, is called presuppositional apologetics. There's your $2 word for the day, presuppositional apologetics. While that sounds complicated or difficult, it really is simple. Cornelius Van Til believed, he truly believed, on discussions, on debates, on matters of reasoning or argumentation, trying to convince someone of something spiritually, theologically, or even practically, we must, at the root level, presuppose or both believe in Christ or God. Because if we don't, we could end up saying the same things and yet both be saying something completely different. Let me, let me help you make sense of that. Jesus Christ is a good teacher. That's our statement. Person A believes Jesus Christ is a good teacher because he is the son of God. Because he is almighty. 
because he has authority and power, because he created us and the world that we live in. Therefore, his statement, Jesus Christ is a good teacher, is rooted in or on Jesus as the Son of God. Person B, Jesus Christ is a good teacher. This person is an atheist or an agnostic. They believe what is said in the scriptures is good moral teaching. I don't really buy the miracles. I don't know about this whole resurrection deal. I don't really get the afterlife. Um, Jesus certainly couldn't have been God, but he was a good moral teacher. So we should take what he says and benefit from it. We should listen to it when it makes sense and throw it away when it doesn't. Now, are both of those people saying the same thing? No, no, they're not. Why? Because the foundation that they're coming from is different. Person A believes what he believes because he believes the scriptures to be true, believes Jesus is who he is. Therefore, he has the authority, the power, and the understanding to make good, um, to give us good teaching. Person B has a weak foundation, a crumbling foundation, no foundation at all. Therefore, while they may be saying something that is true, they're actually missing the point. Van Til's point in his apologetic method then is this. Any argumentation for faith, for reasoning, for belief actually needs to go to the root or you're wasting your time. To convince someone Jesus is a good teacher without convincing them that he's God, therefore he is good by nature, is to miss the point. They can say he's good and still go to hell. They can agree with his teaching and still go to hell because they don't believe in him. Nicodemus is at that state. Nicodemus is, is missing. He's not grasping the foundational level of truth. Jesus calls him out on this, and in this, this first section, he, he really challenges him in three ways. That says, Nicodemus, how are you missing this? Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not know these things? Nicodemus is a Pharisee. By teaching, by lesson, his schooling would have been to understand, to apply, and to govern the use of the Old Testament. That would have been his job title, Pharisee. One who understands, applies, and governs the use of the Old Testament for the people of Israel. How does he miss it? Well, you might say, well, because the, this is not plainly taught in the Old Testament. Maybe you say that foundation is kind of hidden, it's kind of veiled in the Old Testament. I would say that that's not the case at all. We could go to passages of Scripture like Isaiah 44, chapter, verse 3. Isaiah 59, verse 21, these verses speak to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit as God's means of blessing, healing, and a sign of His promise to redeem His people. There's one place where the Spirit, Spirit-filled birth, which is what Jesus is talking about, new birth comes through the Spirit, where God pours out the Holy Spirit on His people for promise, for blessing, and as a mark of the covenant. Yeah, but Aaron, you really kind of have to read into that to get it. Okay, okay, let's try something different. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 11, 19, and 20. I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. 
that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Does that ring a bell? Do the New Testament apostles, does Jesus Christ himself say something similar to that in his teaching? The gospel message clearly portrayed in the Old Testament I will give them a new heart and a new spirit. I will take out the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh so that they will walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Transformation, heart transformation, life transformation happens by God's power of taking something that is dead and giving it life. Remember, Jesus says that you must be born again. New life, new birth must be given for you to enter the kingdom of God. This is echoed in chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. Ezekiel brings it up again. We could also go to Psalm, Psalm Psalm 51.10. A clean heart and a renewed spirit within us is what God will provide. Again and again and again in the scriptures, the scriptures of the Old Testament, God points to the need for a new heart. And he promises a covenant people. He promises, I will be your God and you will be my people. Trust in me, hope in me, rest in me, believe in me again and again and again and again. So foundationally for Nicodemus, he would have heard this. He would have been schooled in this. A lot of the Pharisees had it memorized, and yet he doesn't see it. It's it's going over his head. Jesus, how can these things be? And Jesus is saying, well, you've already been taught the answer. You're missing it, Nicodemus. You're completely missing it. Well, Jesus challenges Nicodemus not only in what he should know, he also challenges Nicodemus on what he is currently believing, Look at the text, how it continues. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Maybe we want to cut Nicodemus some slack. Oh, Nicodemus, it's okay. A lot of people misunderstand the Old Testament. It's okay, you don't get it. Except Jesus is saying here, we've given you testimony. You have seen it. And now witnesses are telling you what you have seen, and you still don't believe. By this point, Jesus' ministry, full of teaching, full of miracles, is becoming more and more widespread. Um, People are coming to see Jesus is different. He does things the way no one else does. When he speaks, he speaks with authority. When he heals, he does so not claiming God's power, but on his own name. Jesus does things different. Why? Because he is the Savior. He is God. And we're going to get to that in the book of John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. Jesus is going to show us again and again in this gospel who he is. And that's going to be apparent by what he says and what he does. And yet Nicodemus still is just oblivious. He doesn't understand his own Old Testament. He doesn't understand what is right in front of him. It's staring him in the face. He's got the evidence. He's got witnesses. He's got testimony. I mean, in a court, this is a closed case. 
And it really leads to that third really rebuke from Jesus and, and the kind of the conclusion. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? What is Jesus telling Nicodemus here very plainly? Of course you don't understand new birth. Of course you don't understand being filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't understand the simple matters. You're missing things at the foundational level, and we're talking about the 10th floor. Let's go back to the ground. Let's go back to the start. I think this is a, a, this is a good encouragement for us, and I, I also think that this is a warning. Nicodemus, on the Sanhedrin, on the religious council, Pharisee of Pharisees, and Jesus Christ is saying, I've got to go back to Sunday school children's ministry level teaching because you've missed all of it. May we never think because we've heard it, may we never think because we've sent our kids through it, uh, that they do believe or will automatically believe. The only way one can believe is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may we be warned, it, it doesn't automatically get us through to have or hear the information. We've got to trust in God. But yet at the same time, Let's be encouraged. What is the secret? What is the answer? Nicodemus asked Jesus, how do I get into heaven? How do I have eternal life? Now, maybe he came to Jesus expecting to hear something like this. Nicodemus, you are doing such a great job. Look at you as a Pharisee. You're following the commands. You're following the statutes. You're you're being so specific and particular about it. You're tithing your own uh, mint and dill and cumin. A tenth of those things you're giving to the church. Look at how good you are. What do you mean how do you get in the kingdom? You're already in. You're good. Take a couple weeks off. You're you're fine. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus tells him you must be born again. How encouraging is it to us that that which we teach our children, that, 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 that which they start to hear in the nursery, really is the answer for all of our hearts and lives. The secret to eternal life can be found in those simple words. Trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and you will be saved. It is so simple. Our children can hear it and believe it. It is so complex that a Pharisee of Pharisees can miss it. And so as we hear this, may we be encouraged, but may we we be sober-minded Because we can, we can get to high levels of discussion and argumentation. We can talk about very specific and particular things as it relates to faith and, and belief and the return of Christ and the uh, second coming and, and the, the life after death and all those things. But if we do not believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, another analogy from scripture, we've built a house upon sand. Because when the storms come, and they will come, let me, let me promise you that. The house on the sand falls flat. But if we're built on a firm foundation on the rock, the house stands. So hard not to, I'm hearing the song. It's so hard not to sing it in my head. And that was something that was taught to me 20, 25 years ago. Again, we teach it to our children 
May we never get to the point where like, that's, that's too elementary for me because it's that simple. Nicodemus didn't get it though. But here's where, again, we see the beauty of Jesus Christ. Because what could he have done? You're right, Nicodemus, you've missed it. Good luck, I'll see you later. I got a few more appointments today. I kind of want some supper. Uh, you're on your own, figure it out. He could have, he really could have. He's already argued with him, he's made his case, he's told him the truth, he's answered his questions. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? Jesus, again, with patience, with understanding, all right, Nicodemus, let's try this again. Let me see if I can explain it in a way that you'll get it. Let me, let me go to your field of study. Let me go to the place where you're an expert, where you're, you're, the, you're the theologian on this matter. Let's take it back to the Old Testament. Jesus Christ, me, coming from Jesus, bought my belief by his being lifted up on the cross. That's what we see here in our second section. Jesus begins to correct Nicodemus' wrong views. Nicodemus has a terrible foundation. He's missing the mark. We just saw that over and over and over again. And so Jesus then goes to correct. He first rebukes, then he corrects. No one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. He rebuked Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you're missing the key mark. You're, you're missing the, the simple basic concept. But then Jesus says, no one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven. I love what Calvin says here. It makes a lot of sense. Jesus exhorts Nicodemus not to trust in himself and his own judgment because no mortal man can by his own unaided power enter into heaven but only he who goes under the guidance of the Son of God. For to ascend to heaven here means to have pure knowledge of the mystery of God and the light of spiritual understanding. Let me put that simply. You can't get it, Nicodemus. You don't get it and you can't get it because you are not a spiritual being. You need help. You need help. And again, how do we see the mercy of God? Jesus says, Nicodemus, you're lost, you're confused, you need help. Who is the only person who could give him help? Who is the only person who could bring him to a right understanding? Who would be the best? You, you get to phone a friend, uh, that old, um, old uh, uh, who wants to be a millionaire, TV show, one of your lifelines was phone a friend, and when you called someone, you wanted them to have knowledge on the subject. You get one phone call, how do I get into heaven? I'm lost, I'm confused, I feel abandoned. Who do I call? Well, Jesus would be at the top of the list, wouldn't he? Jesus would be at the top of the list. No one has ascended into heaven, or to put it differently, no one understands the matters of heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. He has been in heaven, he has been on earth. Who better to make sense of this deep spiritual conundrum? Jesus Christ is the key. This has been prophesied as well. Um, we, I've mentioned it before, but Daniel 7.13, or excuse me, um, elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus is Jacob's ladder, the pathway between earth and heaven. 
He's the one prophesied in Daniel 7, 13. Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Jesus is the bridge. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, is the only way we can have new life. And then my favorite part of the passage, Jesus says, all right, Nicodemus, here, here, let's, let's, let's look at it like this. Do you remember the story about what happened to the people of Israel as they're wandering in the desert? God has delivered them from Egypt. He has rescued them from slavery. He has given them a leader. He's, his presence is before them in the smoke and in the pillar. They have shoes that do not fall off their feet, clothes that do not rot off their backs. They're given manna from heaven. Every th- water comes out of rocks. Everything they needed, he is providing. And what does the text say? Out of joy and gratitude, they say, thank you, God, and it deepens their trust and relationship with him. No. (laughs) What do the people of Israel say? They're pretty bold in what they say. Oh, that we were back in Egypt. At least we had better food. Jesus just rescued you from years of exile and of slavery. You're being worked to death. Your, your, your women are being forced into um, to quick labor so that the children aren't murdered. You're wandering to a land that's promised that flows with milk and honey and everything you need will be provided. And yet you go, you know, God, Egypt sounds pretty good about now. And so what does God do? God says, okay, flaming snakes. I'm going to send snakes that are on fire. And he did. He sent snakes that were on fire. And what did those snakes do? They bit people. And when they were bit, they died. That got their attention. That got their attention. They said, Lord, forgive us. We did not know what we were saying. Save us, God. Save us. Now, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Save us from whom? Who's the one that sent the snakes? God. So what are they really saying? Save us from you, God. Save us from you. And so they tell Moses to pray to God, and Moses prays to God, and God says, here's what you're going to do, Moses. See those fiery snakes that everybody's scared of that's killing everyone? I want you to go make a statue of one of them. Make Make it out of bronze. Make it just like one of those fiery snakes. Put it on a pole. And I want you to pick it up over the people's heads. And I want you to march around with it and you carry that pole, I'm not going to get rid of the snakes. That's interesting. I'm not going to get rid of the snakes. But then when someone is bit, bitten by the snakes, if they will look to the serpent, the bronze serpent, instead of dying, they will live. Out of all the ways Jesus could have punished them and out of all the ways Jesus could have saved them, what a remarkable decision that he made. But what is taught there? What is, the, what is the point? Well, here in John, we actually get the answer to the point of that account for Israel. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Where does our hope come from? Where does our source of rescue and redemption come from? 
And whom must we trust for our salvation? God. Who is just and righteous and capable of both bringing about our death and bringing about our life? God. Here's where it gets interesting. What is the symbol, the sign of the devil in the Bible? The serpent. What are we told at Genesis chapter 3 when God is cursing the serpent? Cursed are you above all animals because of that which you have done on your belly you shall crawl all the days of your life you will be despised by all livestock and I will place enmity or animosity between you and between the woman of her offspring you shall bruise his heel and he shall bruise your head often that's translated as crush signifying a death blow on the cross Jesus died Blood and water ran forth, showing that the, the, the pump had stopped pumping. Don't you think for a moment, for three days at least, Satan was over there dancing. Yes, we got him. I win. You can see it. You can almost picture it in your head. I win, I win, I win. He's down. I win. I'm the best. He lost. Then the third day he rose from the dead, showing mastery, showing victory showing he, indeed, Jesus Christ, is victorious. And so, for Jesus to tie himself to that symbol, the symbol of the serpent, the one that seemingly brings death, ultimately, through Satan, of all people, Jesus Christ brought life and salvation. The cross, which seemed to be a victory for Satan, ultimately was a victory for Jesus. And so what is Jesus telling Nicodemus here? You've got to look to me. Let's forget everything else. Let's go down to the root level. Let's go down to the dirt beneath the foundation. We're going down to the, to the dirt itself. How do I get into heaven? How do I have eternal life? How am I saved? How do I get new birth? What is Jesus saying? Look to me. Look to me. Trust in me. Hope in me. Believe in me. It's a rare blessing for Nicodemus. He got to have a one-on-one -on -one with Jesus Christ. But we are given the same opportunity. We can ask the same questions. How am I saved today? What does it mean to have new life? How can I enter into the kingdom of heaven? Don't be like Nicodemus. Don't think it's in your teaching, your background, your, your scholarly understanding. Understand it's in these simple words. Trust in Christ. Look to Him, to what He's done, done for you. And by doing so, by confessing your sin, turning your heart to Him, trusting in Christ, Scripture says you are saved. I pray in time that Nicodemus came to understand that. There, there are some inclinations that he might have. But I can't speak to Nicodemus. I can speak to me and I can speak to you. Trust in Jesus Christ today and you will be saved. Look to the one that was lifted up. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I love that the path to salvation is so simple. And yet it's not really that simple, is it? Jesus Christ had to die that we may live. Jesus Christ had to be sacrificed that we might have new life.
By his blood, our freedom was bought. Lord, may we celebrate the shed blood of Jesus Christ this day, especially as we prepare to go to the Lord's Supper. May that be on our minds and on our hearts this day. Lord, may we not make the mistake of Nicodemus, but may we hope and trust and rest in Christ. As the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness that brought salvation to the people, so Jesus Christ was lifted up on the cross, and even more so as he ascended into heaven, showing that he is champion, is Lord of life and of death. Lord, we thank you for your word and the truths contained within it. We pray that they would be before us this week, and that we would live as changed people, as the people of God, because of them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.